In this first week after the celebration of Easter, we are uh, following up uh, with another uh, sermon focusing on uh, the resurrection of Jesus and the implications of Jesus' resurrection for our own. We will, the Lord willing, return to the Romans series next Sunday. Uh, But This morning, in preparation for the reading of Scripture and uh, the sermon to follow, let's read responsibly from the Heidelberg Catechism as printed in your bulletin. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death does not pay the debt of our sins. Rather, it puts an end to our sinning and is our entrance into eternal life. And now let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Let us pray as we sing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God eternal. Amen. I invite you to open your Bible, or one of the pew Bibles, to the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15. The entirety of this chapter is known as the Resurrection Chapter, addressing, first of all, the historical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then the implications of that for those who are united to him by faith. And we begin the reading of God's holy and inerrant word now at verse 42. This is God's word. It is written. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, 
That is, Christ became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man, Adam, was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, Christ, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But... Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ, be all praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. With regard to life after death, we probably think most often about the life of the soul after death, or as we say, going to heaven when we die. And this is understandable. When a loved one dies, the promise of heaven is an immediate comfort. Whenever we contemplate our own death, and we should, the promises of Scripture are there to reassure us. The Scripture teaches us that believers in Christ, that that to be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. While contemplating his own execution, the Apostle Paul said, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. To the repentant thief on the cross who begged Jesus for mercy, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What other testimony do we need to assure us that the souls of repentant believers are welcomed into the presence of the Lord at the moment of physical death? And therefore, our shorter catechism affirms that the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. Now, that, it's, it's breathtaking. It ought to give believers in Christ great courage and peace. Indeed, the hope of glory in the face of death. For the true Christian, for that person whose soul rests on Jesus and his righteousness alone, physical death is the soul's gateway to glory. Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me, 
shall never die. What a statement. (laughs) Now, obviously, Jesus did not mean that believers will never die physically, but rather, and more importantly, that believers will never die spiritually. And there are at least two implications which flow from that. First, believers will never die spiritually in the sense that they will not experience spiritual condemnation under the judgment of God. As John 3.16 says, they will not perish. Or as Jesus said with emphasis, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. For the believer in Christ, death is in the past. Eternal life is in the present and in the future. Secondly, the believer in Christ will never die in the sense that his or her soul will not fade away and lose its life. The life of the soul, our personal consciousness, will not be snuffed out. If we are united to Christ by the Holy Spirit through faith, and therefore the very life of Christ is dwelling within us, if the risen Christ is united to us by His Spirit, then our souls cannot die. The light of Christ's life within the believer cannot be extinguished. On the contrary, at the moment of physical death, the life of the believer's soul is is infinitely increased. Our life does not fade away and the light never goes out. Rather, the life of the soul immediately grows stronger. The light of life immediately grows brighter and brighter in the glory of the presence of God. In other words, the believer's soul doesn't go from life to death to life. Believers in union with Christ go from life to greater life and glory. Or to say it more simply, the soul of the believer never experiences death. The believer is never conscious of death. The soul of the believer is suddenly and immediately in the presence of the Lord, never having experienced death. Now listen to this. Jesus said with emphasis, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word He will never see death. That's an astonishing statement. And by the way, that statement is vindicated and verified by Jesus' resurrection from the dead. He said it, and he knows what he's talking about. The sermon is based on Jesus' resurrection from the dead. The one who follows Jesus goes from life in this world to glorious life in heaven without ever seeing, without ever experiencing death. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. It's breathtaking. And it should make all the difference not only in how we die, but also how we live each day. Now, what do we mean by the word soul? What is your soul? The easiest way I know how to define it is to say 
Your soul is the you who lives inside of you. You are a self-conscious creature. You know that you are alive. You know that you will die. And you think about these things. Your dog doesn't. Your dog is not thinking about what he's going to do this afternoon or anything of that nature. But you are because, and this is the reason that is so, as a human, you have the image of God stamped upon you. Having been created in the image of God, you are thereby a self-conscious Creature, You are a creature who has a will by which you make moral choices. You have desires of the heart, not only physical desires. You have desires of the heart. You have a conscience by which you judge yourself. All of this makes you who you are, a willing, thinking, choosing, feeling, self-conscious creature and this you who lives inside of you is your soul, the person you talk to when you talk to yourself. Your dog doesn't talk to himself, but you do because you're created in the image of God. Now, the reality is that our souls in every aspect have been corrupted by sin. Even as redeemed, regenerated believers in Christ, we in every aspect of our life, in every aspect of our soul, are tainted with sin. Our fallen, sinful nature remains within us. And so even as redeemed, born-again, regenerated, justified believers in Christ who are being sanctified, we still have selfish desires, impure, ugly, lustful, vengeful thoughts, feelings of bitterness, envy, jealousy, malice, attitudes of pride and self-conceit and ingratitude and self-pity and apathy toward God and toward others, right? It's all there. It's all there. It's all here. Is it all there? Okay. Now, the Holy Spirit also dwells within believers. Yes, we have the Spirit's power to fight these sinful attitudes and feelings and thoughts and deeds. We're called by Scripture to put them to death. And so as believers, we are called to engage in spiritual warfare against the sin which remains within us. And that's a, that's a spiritual warfare in which we must engage every day, all day long, is it not? So how, how have you done so far today? Anybody had a sinful thought today? Sinful feeling towards somebody else? Sinful desire or imagination? Including apathy toward God and his kingdom. So what's the point? The point is, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect. In holiness. Now, can you imagine yourself never being in a bad mood? Can you imagine never having a selfish desire? Can you imagine never having a sinful thought? 
hurtful, lustful imagination? Can you imagine never feeling bitterness, resentment, malicious desire for revenge? Can you imagine yourself, your soul, the you who lives inside of you, completely free from the least taint of envy, jealousy, greed, gluttony for the things of this world? What would it be like? What would it be like to go for a day? How about an hour? Let's, uh, we'll take 30 minutes. What would it be like to go for five minutes without any of this sinful corruption stirring up in our souls? What would it be like to live for eternity without any of this sinful corruption stirring up in our souls? What would it be like for every thought feeling, attitude, and desire to be sincerely and perfectly in conformity with the holiness, righteousness, glory, beauty, and love of God. What would it be like to have a soul that could not sin? It would be glorious. And it shall be glorious for every soul covered and cleansed by the blood of Christ. Now, you know, when a loved one dies in faith, trusting in Christ, we very often say things such as, she doesn't have to linger any longer. He's not suffering anymore. Now she's been healed. And those are very good things to say and to affirm in the light of the gospel. But you know what's even better? The battle with cancer may be over, but you know what's even better than that for the believer? The battle with sin is over. When this body dies, the really wonderful thing will be not that I'm not suffering anymore, but that I'm not sinning anymore. Not even in the secret corners of my heart and soul. Oh, that will be glory. And yes, there is scriptural basis to assure us that the souls of believers in heaven will have a knowledge of one another, a conscious fellowship with one another, and a a pure enjoyment of one another in communion with God and all his redeemed people without the least trace of sin interrupting that perfect love. That will be glory in the presence of Christ. But there's more. The soul's life after death is not the fullness of salvation which Christ has won for his people by his death and resurrection. Jesus died on the cross and rose bodily from the grave, not only so that your soul would go to heaven when you die, but also so that in body and soul you would live eternally in the glory of a completely redeemed creation, the new heavens and the new earth. The fullness of salvation in Christ will come when, in the words of Romans 8, The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And we ourselves who now have the first fruits of the Spirit will receive the redemption of our bodies. The full vision of salvation is the redemption of the cosmos, God's good world 
completely renewed and restored, freed from sin and death and evil. And Jesus said, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. In his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul wrote, Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. And again from the great 8th chapter of Romans we read, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life also to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And of course, 1 Corinthians 15 in its entirety is all about Christ's resurrection and ours. Christ's bodily resurrection from the dead is the pattern, the prototype, and the guarantee of our resurrection from the dead. And of course, I am now speaking and referring to believers in Christ. But this is a mystery. The Apostle Paul wrote, Behold, I tell you a mystery. The word mystery means that it has not yet been fully revealed to us. It's not been disclosed to us in every detail. The resurrection of the body is a mystery because it is hidden from our understanding. And yet it is declared by the word of God as a sure and certain reality and guaranteed by the historical reality of Jesus' bodily resurrection. So no, we don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know what it's going to look like exactly. It's all beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our imagination. We can't get our heads around it. But let me just remind you of one thing. We live in a grand universe. We sit here living and breathing in this world, the origin of which the sustaining of which and the delicate intricacies of which are beyond human comprehension apart from the sovereign power of the infinite and eternal Creator. We live in a mystery. And he who spoke creation into existence by the power of his word can just as easily bring forth a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth free from sin and death by the power of his word, his living word, Jesus Christ crucified and risen. He who made a man out of dust and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils can just as easily raise men and women from the dust with glorified bodies and fill them with everlasting life by the power of his spirit. This is not a problem to God. Leave the questions to God and believe the promises of his word which are sealed by the blood of Christ and guaranteed by his resurrection from the dead. 
The scripture says that our corruptible body shall be changed for bodily life in the new creation. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. Although we can't answer all the questions of our curiosity, nevertheless, based on the pattern of Jesus' resurrected body, it was the same body, but somehow changed. It was no longer subject to the, the laws of physics in this created order, for example. It was somehow recognizable by the disciples, but somehow new and different. We believe, therefore, based on his resurrection, that our raised, glorified spiritual body will have a a distinct continuity with, and somehow, I think, I think some kind of recognizable likeness to our body. We shouldn't speculate too much. But the point of this doctrine is that there is a continuity of individual personhood. A continuity of individual identity. I mean, you just think about the fact that, you know what, you you can't separate yourself from your body. Everything you do, you do in your body. Even your invisible thoughts are a function of your body. That's, that's, That's because God made you to be a body and soul creature. And the promise of the gospel is that he's going to put those two components back together again. A soul that cannot sin in a body that cannot die. That will be glory. You, the true believer in Christ, who you are in this life, in your individual personhood, will be raised. You will not disintegrate into nothingness. You are not dust in the wind. You will not be absorbed or dissolved into the universal consciousness. You will be raised. It will be the new you, the eternally new you. You, believer, free from the corruption of sin. You, free from the bondage of mortality. You, in your individuality, in your unique personhood, but completely redeemed, completely sanctified, indeed glorified. God's good work in you, which has already begun in this life. Indeed, You are of true faith in Christ. You will be brought to eternal perfection. You will be raised to life in an eternally new, incorruptible, imperishable, glorious body in a new creation in which all evil has been eradicated. There is no sin. There is no sickness. There is no sorrow. There is no disease. There is no decay. And there is no death. You, believer, will have a soul that cannot sin in a body that cannot die. And then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You spit in death's faith in Jesus' name. You, believer in Christ, will finally and forever be truly, fully alive. Alive like you've never, ever been alive in this world. You will be fully alive in a real world. A real world. A new creation which every wrong will have been righted. 
Every tear of sorrow turned into tears of laughter. Every moment of suffering transmuted into glory. A new heavens and a new earth in which everything sad will become untrue. And God himself will dwell with us as our God. And we shall be together forever with the Lord. But there's one more thing. The main point of 1 Corinthians 15 is not to speculate about the future life. It's not. It really, it is to address how we live on earth here and now. If we believe these things, why would we pursue and seek our happiness in the lifestyle of pagan America? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. We need to ask ourselves that question seriously. Why would we live as though this world is all there is? As though it doesn't get any better than this. If we believe the gospel, why would we live our life on earth committed, I mean, committed to pursuing the maximization of the physical, creaturely pleasures of this corruptible perishing world. If we believe in the perfection of the soul and the resurrection of the body, why would we, for example, one example, sin against God with our bodies by indulging in sexual immorality? If we believe the gospel of salvation soul, and body, why would we live our lives on earth afraid to die? And too afraid to die for the sake of Christ. If we believe in the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of our own bodies to life everlasting, then brothers and sisters, let us live and let us die for him. For his promise is that, in fact, we will never die. What does the scripture say? It says to believers, your body, your life in its totality, is going to be raised in power and glory. So, get to work on earth, here and now, for the sake of Christ, for the glory of God, How does this passage come to its climax? What's the point? What's the so what of this passage? Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What is it telling us? It's telling us that your life now on earth in your mortal body has a purpose. 
which is to serve and to glorify God and build up His people and seek the advance of His kingdom in all that you do in your bodily life on earth with the assurance that your bodily labor for the Lord is not in vain. For the day is coming when you will be truly, fully alive with a soul that cannot sin, in a body that cannot die, in a creation completely filled with the majesty and the beauty and the love and the glory of God forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glorious gospel of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom alone is our life and our peace. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will plant your word deep in our hearts and water it with your Spirit and cause it to spring forth and bear much fruit for the glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith, the Philippian Creed, based on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2. Christian, in whom do you believe? We believe in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Amen.